0: I want to talk to you today about, um, I started to, started to talk to you about your roots, but I was afraid the ladies would start getting out their mirror and check their roots. I realize when you say roots to a lady, it means a different thing than it does to a guy. But I want to talk to you today about being rooted. Uh, in order to do so, I'm gonna to have to plow a little bit, okay? Uh, so I'm gonna ask you to come to the Word. Who knows what I mean when I say that? I'm asking you to come to the word today. And as I do, would you just, as you sit in comfortably in the pew there today, would you just lift up a prayer to Jesus to ask him to give me grace to deliver what I believe to be the word of the Lord for us, for us today. Uh, I'm actually more specifically going to talk about what it is to be deeply rooted, to have deep roots. <clears throat> I'm in conversations with all kinds of people uh, both within our fellowship and most recently because we've been out of town early part of last week Becky and I attended a pastor's conference in Houston and then before we went on to Columbus to preach over the weekend and been around lots of other people outside of Bethesda the last last few days and I often speak of this fellowship and people say how's Bethesda what's going on at Bethesda tell me how you know how have you made it through COVID what's going on and I often speak of this fellowship as a place that is deeply rooted. And I mean that. And I am very grateful to and honored and privileged to be your pastor because this is a fellowship that has deep, deep roots. It it speaks of the stability of this fellowship. It speaks of the maturity of this fellowship. And it speaks of the groundedness of, of, of this fellowship. You know, one little maybe point of trivia that I share occasionally from time to time when I'm talking about how stable Bethesda is as a fellowship. Did you know that I am only the sixth pastor in 85 years? Um, the, it, this church was founded in 1936, and one of those pastors, one, two, three, the third one was, was an interim pastor for two years, and the rest of that um, was the other, other five of us, of us, and it says a lot about the stability of this place. Um, and I'm sure you know that's not the story everywhere. Some churches go through six pastors in 10 years, and, uh, but that is not the case here. As I mentioned, Becky and I were um, at a pastor's conference in Houston, the early part of last week, and we heard many, many stories, both out in the hallways and from those who were sharing from the pulpit Um, mostly of how churches have navigated their way through this past year of COVID, some of the stories we heard were rough, to to say the least, and others sounded uh, very similar to our own story. We actually heard stories, uh, several stories, of churches that were just being planted in mid-February to early March of last year. Can you imagine just planting a church at that time, because you know what happened by about March 12th or uh, last year? No time for roots to be developed at all. And so we heard the stories of what happened, and, and without a doubt, the testimony was, God is giving grace, but the battle has been intense. How many can say, yeah, that's often my story. God's giving grace, but the battle has been intense. I think we could all say that. As I heard story after story at that conference, last week i I, I just i I sat there and within the quiet of my own heart i was i was grateful once again for the stability of bethesda church and so i i bless you bethesda for your faithfulness to the lord and your willingness to honor his word and honor the house of the lord and uh, it is it is an honor to serve you and i say that with all of my heart it's true that there is one particular thing that we as pastors in this house, as a pastoral team, we have noticed as a result of this coronavirus. Many people have, for whatever reason, uh, during this process of dealing with the coronavirus, uh, it's caused a, a shaking, if you will, of their root system. Maybe not an uprooting, Oh, in the case of a few, but but at least a shaking uh, of their roots. People who previously appeared to be firmly planted, somehow uh, we just watched as a few of them began to get disillusioned with the new restricted lifestyle which was imposed upon us and we didn't really have any choice uh, about. We also know, and this may be true of you, I don't know, you can only determine this, but there are those who uh, have not had an easy time with isolation, And we understand that Uh, it it just wasn't easy because in this time of isolation and the ensuing loneliness that was a part of that, there are many who then somehow allowed narratives to play out in their mind or in their head, which were not even necessarily based upon truth or, or reality. And how many know that the enemy did not go to sleep during COVID during the last year? He was alive and well and doing what he does and taking advantage of every opportunity, particularly as we were isolated and by force and as we were sort of set apart like the one sheep who's stranded over here and, and put in a very vulnerable position. And for some people, it was particularly a vulnerable situation for them to get isolated. And the narratives begin playing out in their head, some out of sheer boredom, some out of discontent, some out of fear of the unknown. And, and what happened as a result is that we've noticed here as a pastoral team, some allowed their roots to, uh, maybe not uproot, but, but they just got a little shaky. They, they didn't seem quite as, as firmly planted. That doesn't mean that they don't have roots, it just means that the circumstances of this year caused them to become, maybe the nicest way to say this, a, a bit unsettled. Now, if that's you, let me be clear that there is no shame and no judgment here, not from me, and I haven't detected a shred of that from our pastoral team. But I'm gonna ask you to listen to this message these next few minutes. And, I, and let's see if there's anything from the Word to help us today as we talk about roots and deeply planted roots. Matthew 13 is where I'm going. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there with me, Matthew 13. And I'm looking first at starting at verse 20. We'll see how far we go. Matthew 13:20 says this, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message And immediately receive it with joy but since they don't have oh good you remembered oh i'm so excited for those of you who are new or forgot yellow means that's yours to say okay all that's that's the rules going forward okay and it also means you can't say it like half-heartedly that that doesn't work because i'm old i'm deaf i can't hear and i'll think you haven't said anything you've gone to sleep so but since they don't have, oh, thank you, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's Word. The original King James says that they are, they are offended, those who don't have deep roots, and they, they don't last long and they fall away. They're offended. Uh, and if you if you snoop around in the original meaning of even that word offended, it basically means they fall into a trap of their own making. They fall into a trap of their own making. Now, I'm gonna ask you to indulge me here with the use of pronouns. I may use he and him throughout the message, but please understand it is inclusive of all. If I, if, if I fall into that, I'll try to be careful. In this passage, our Matthew 13 text, Jesus is referring to that one who has heard, has heard the gospel. They, they believe and know that Jesus has came to die upon a cross uh, to pay the price for their sin and offers them eternal life in heaven. There's, in heaven. They're not confused about that. That's who we're talking about here in this passage. Let, let's, let's be clear. Jesus had indicated that he would come and live within you. How many are thankful for that today? And he would give you his Holy Spirit, which allows you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, dunamis power within you, allows you to become someone greater than you are able to be, even in your own strength. Is there a shred of gratitude in the room today? Now, Jesus gives this information, and and, and he's speaking of the one who, who heard what did it say? Heard the message and immediately received it with joy. And he's speaking of that one who would say, Wow, only a fool would reject that. He, they hear the gospel message. They hear what Jesus came to do and the life he came to give them, and and they would respond, wow, that's good news indeed. Only a fool would would reject that. And so that person opens their heart and says, Lord, come into my heart and, and be my Lord and Savior, as most of us in this house today have said. But Jesus teaches us in our text today that the person who received this seed of the gospel on rocky soil has no root within them. In other words, that person chooses to live their life only on the surface. You know people like that. They live their life only on the surface of what their life in Christ is called to be, never going very deep, almost resisting the, uh, every inclination to go deeper in God, deeper in their journey. How many of you know that he is taking us from glory to glory and from grace to grace and from revelation to revelation? And that you never exhaust the fullness of what Christ has for you in a life with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's always another level. There's always another place in God to go. You've never really arrived until you get to the shores of heaven. I'm thankful for that, I don't know about you. But this person who chooses to live their life only on the surface of what their life in Christ is called to be, they never, they, they never are going deep. They're willing to be satisfied with the minimals of the Christian disciplines. The minimal Bible reading, and prayer only in emergencies, and uh, it ha- fine with minimal church attendance, and, and becoming lax in that area, which quite honestly results in a minimal amount of change in their life. And as long as the sun is out, as long as the wind is blowing softly, that person can have every appearance of enduring their shallow roots, which seem to be holding them up. And many people might not even detect that those roots are, are, are not very deep at all. And, and if we're honest about the culture and environment in which you and I live, in this Western Christianity that, that we live in, we have enjoyed in this country, a rather protracted season of sunshine and gentle winds blowing in our Western Christianity. We, don't, we know the word persecution, We just don't really, we haven't really had to experience it, certainly not at the level that our brothers and sisters in other countries have had to experience. That's why we often pray on a Sunday night for the persecuted church. There are churches this very day, yea, this very hour, that are literally being persecuted for the cause of Christ. But by the grace of God, and I pray it continues, we have experienced a measure of grace in this country a protracted season of sunshine and gentle winds blowing our way. The downside of that to me is this. I probably should title this message Brutally Honest, okay? It's got another title, but that's not it. But the downside is this, that our, our um, relaxed intensity toward things of God Our relaxed intensity toward protecting the testimony of Christ in our lives and our testimony to the world in which we live has tended to produce pulpits which present a very light and shallow gospel, causing many to be fully satisfied with extremely shallow roots, perfectly willing to just stay about right there and go no further but it does not prepare them for that which will inevitably come their way. For the day will come. It may not be today. It may be not be tomorrow. But the day will come when the person with shallow roots will fall into a trap. It's gonna happen. They will have problems. Am I telling you the truth? They will be persecuted. That day will come because Jesus made it very clear to us when he said, in this world you shall have tribulation. It is coming. If that's not your story today, wait a week, okay? And anyone who preaches any other gospel to you other than what I just told you is not telling you the truth. Sickness comes eventually to every house. Death knocks on every door. Despair comes to almost every mind. Tribulation and trouble come when you least expect them. Is there any seasoned people in the house that can witness that? I'm telling you the truth today. Therefore, in Christ, your roots have to go much deeper than just the surface. For if they don't, the adversity will literally blow you over and you will not be able to stand, and you will fall into a trap. If you believe, as I do, that Christ is coming again very soon, no one knows the day nor the hour, but if you believe that as I do, then you will also be of the persuasion that we are literally in the season of His coming. I believe, folks, we are in the season of His coming. Who's with me today? Who's ready for Him to come? (laughs) Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Hallelujah. But since we're in this season, let's see what the word says about it. Paul says in 2 Timothy some very sobering words. Come to the word today. Second Timothy chapter 3, he said, you should know this, Paul tells young Timothy, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be some very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. That's what the season of His coming, as we're approaching, is going to look like. Gonna? They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and forgiving, so says the word. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And he goes so far as to say, you know what, Timothy? You need to stay away from those people. That's what Paul said to Timothy. But here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24. He says, then, speaking of this season of his coming, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. You probably have, Traditionally, hear that as wax cold. The love of many will grow cold. Does this at all sound to anybody familiar? Do you think that's a day that's coming? Matthew 25, Jesus said, many will be unprepared. Many will be unprepared. They thought they had a relationship with God. They thought they were part of the bridal party, if you will, waiting for the bridegroom only to find out that when the days got dark, they had nothing in them, which enabled them to see or to stand or to direct anybody to the, to the bridegroom. In the second chapter of Second Thessalonians, Paul speaks of a great falling away before the ultimate lawlessness or the man of sin is revealed. And the final worldwide rebellion against Christ will reach a crescendo, resulting in the great falling away. Now, let's be clear. The one Christ speaks of in our Matthew 13 text is one whose seed fell on rocky soil. Going to have to be direct with you today. It is that one who did become a Christian. It's that one who attended the house of God and engaged in some form in worship. But it is also that one who had no depth. And when darkness came and the winds blew and the storms raged, They could not stand. I don't know about you, but I happen to know from years of living on this earth and in the church and as a believer, there are times when the testimony that I have and the best thing I can say is this, I'm still standing. I haven't given up. I'm still standing. There are certainly times when someone asks me how I'm doing, and I will quickly rehearse whatever in my mind, thinking, okay, I need to, they don't really want to know. They just want me to say, fine, and I may do that. But it would be totally disingenuous for me to say, oh, I'm doing great. And sometimes the best I have to give you is to give you my best smile and say, I'm still standing. Is that true for anybody in the house today? How many are glad you're still standing? I know you may be standing with wobbly knees. I know you may feel like you're losing your balance. I know that all kinds of things might be assailing you, causing you to not be sure, and maybe even feel like you're losing your footing, some almost to the point of being willing to give up. Pain, discomfort will cause you to want to give up. I know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, there's something significant when a believer is willing to say, I'm still standing, because you are standing by the grace of God. When you say you're standing, you recognize that new every morning are His mercies and great is His faithfulness. I'm standing because God still has me breathing on planet earth, and He's giving and supplying everything that I have need of. All I have need of, He has supplied. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. (laughs) Control yourself, dear. But those who have no depth are those who, well, let's just say it. They see no need for the Word of God. Very, very casual. Treat it very, very lightly. See not particularly any need for prayer, at least to some degree, and probably as significant as anything, they give no value to calling out to the Holy Spirit. Church, we've got to learn how to call out. Jeremiah says, call unto me, speaking of the Lord, call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If your life is like mine, I walk through a big part of my day going, Lord, I I don't know. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. But I know this. I am privileged to believe in the promise. By the way, all his promises are yes and amen. amen. That when I call upon the name of the Lord, he will hear me and he will answer me and he will show me the things that I don't know. How many of you believe that today? Somebody needs to hang on to that for this week. Calling upon God. That's what we do here on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We call upon the Lord to do what we cannot do. It's beyond our strength. It's beyond our ability. It's beyond our purview to even be able to see. But we can call upon the Lord. And in calling, we are saying, God, change my heart, change my life, change my direction, change my speech, and change my behavior. In order for those things to happen, your roots have to go down. Deep. Church, we are no longer in the day and rapidly approaching and more intensity with this. We are no longer in the day when we can afford to to have shallow roots, that they only go down so far, and we're content with that. Oh, God, I hope this penetrates someone's heart today. No shame, like I said, not shaming you, not judging you. Am I prodding you to go deeper in God? Absolutely, I am. Am I giving you a kick in the seat of the pants to quit being happy with status quo? Yes. Because the supply has to come from something within you that only God can give you. And if your roots are not firmly established and they don't run down deep, then when the adversity of this world comes, it will ultimately cause you to fall into a trap. I'm speaking to you as your pastor today. There's a warning in this. In many ways, the Christian journey is like a long-distance run, like, a, like a, a marathon. To run a marathon, so I hear. I'm not trying to fool anybody. You have to be mindful of your diet, so I hear. You have to train well. You have to become disciplined. You have to develop the ability to press through the challenges. So as your pastor, I tell you today that in order to make it through the whole of the journey that God has you in, you have to get into the Word of God. That's the diet you need to be taking in. You have to know the Word of God. You have to digest the Word of God. You have to meditate on the Word of the Lord. The Word of God has to be absorbed into your character for your roots to go down deep. If you determine to run a marathon, you have to to go long to complete it. You may start with short distances, and then you add more and more and more as you train. You have to train your body to run through the exhaustion and train your body to press through the, the discomfort and the temptation to quit. Believe it or not, believe it or not, it is true. I used to be a jogger. I began running in 1999, and I jogged faithfully for about 17 years until a back surgery in 2016 uh, forced the doctor to tell me I could no longer do that. But I loved it, and there were days when the run felt so good. Oh, my goodness. Those of you who love to jog, any joggers in the room, raise your hand. Those of you who have enjoyed that know what I'm talking about. Even the uphill incline can feel good. Somehow, the way it presses against you, there, there's just something about it. It causes this runner's high to, uh, to, to be there, and, and you can have that. But can I just tell you my experience in running for about 17 years? It was entirely possible that the very next day, running this exact same path, the same uphill climbs, the same, I felt pain and discomfort with every step and wanted to quit. Who knows what I'm talking about? Every muscle, every joint is screaming out, stop, it hurts, stop. You're exhausted, you're killing yourself. And I think the same thing is true of our spiritual journey, church. Our spiritual jog, if I dare put it like that. There's days, thank God, when the wind is filling our sails. We're gliding across the water. That's only true in our personal lives. It's true in the church. There's just times when the wind seems to be filling our sails and, and we're gliding with ease and the and the wind's blowing your hair's flowing back those of you who have it. Josh, you can dream, okay? How did you know that was coming? It's like you were prepared for it. And then there's other days. As other days, you have to get the oars out, O-A-R, have to get the oars out and row for all your worth. It taxes every muscle and joint in your body. And even when it hurts, you have to keep rowing while everything within you is screaming, stop everything, which is why I'm going to take you to what I really want to tell you. I'm always encouraged to read in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of the great cloud of witnesses. I need to, Dan needs to remember that there are those who have run this race before me. Dan needs to be reminded there are those who have successfully run this race before me. Dan needs to study their life and figure out why they were successful at running this race before me. Why wouldn't we want to learn from those who've gone before us, from those who've already finished the race and they know the pitfalls along the way, for, for those who know what it takes uh, to persevere when the going gets tough, for those whose roots ran deep and they were still standing even in the hard times? Why wouldn't we learn? from those who've passed the test and and they've been successful, why wouldn't we learn? Please, 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 please don't raise your hand. Please, we about this next thing. But how many parents in this room of adolescents or teenagers have ever said to each other, husband to wife or wife to husband, whatever made us think we could be parents? Put your hand down. Put your hand down. Becky and I said that to each other often. Why did, why did we think, did no, why did nobody tell us this part? This wasn't in the manual. Where is that manual, by the way? What made us think we could be parents? And it was in those moments at our house, and raising children, that we got in touch with godly people that we knew had run that part of the race before us. Particularly those who looked like they had run that part of the race successfully. Now, they will often then reveal to you that it wasn't always pretty, as pretty as it looked. There was something in there, but why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we look to them? And that, can I just say, that's part of the beauty of the church, church of the living Lord Jesus, I'm going to tell you this, that no matter what part of the race you're running today, I can promise you that there are people sitting in this very room who know that path very well that you are approaching and beginning to get challenged by. There's people sitting here who've, who've already conquered that part of the race. They know well the discomfort of that incline. They know what that does to you, that urge to quit and to, and to stop. Uh, they, they know the, the the screaming urge to quit, why wouldn't you consult them? Now we have in the church today, those who've probably run that race before you, but not only that, we have a great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews chapter 12 that we find in Scripture whose roots ran deep and whose lives are an example which are good to study. 12-1 of, of, of Hebrews, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, here's the instruction. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We have to lay aside excess weight if we're going to run this race. Excess baggage has to go. Stuff that clings to us, and you have it, we all have it, stuff that weighs us down, stuff that we haven't figured out how to let it go yet because we might need it later, because we've always had it, Grandma had it, Grandpa had we. you know, we've got to have that, we're going to need that, stuff that doesn't even belong there. To run the race of faith on, in life on this earth, you have to get lean and mean. Some of us do better with the mean part than we do the lean part. And we have to get rid of the sin which so easily trips us up. There seems to be, when you look at this, a bit of um, specificity or maybe personalization would be a better word to what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. To, To get rid of that sin which so easily trips you up. It would probably be a different thing for you than it would be for me than it would be for Brent or that would be for others. We cannot run with those things according to the word of God that are not right which bring weakness to our, our lives. Now remember the reading rule coming up here. Hebrews now 12, verse two and three. How do we do this? How do we run this race? We do this by? the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. You know, that is a good thing to do. If you walked in this morning with your head down, hopefully when the choir sang, He's your glory and the lifter of your head, it caused you to begin to look up a bit today. But that is, uh, that is an important thing to remember. Whatever you're going through, think of what Jesus went through for you. Just think of what He did. So when we speak of the great cloud of witnesses, who are we talking about? Well, previous chapter, chapter 11, gives us a very good indication of who this great cloud of witnesses is, those with deep roots, starting with uh, 1136, chapter 11, verse 36. Here's what it looked like for them, the people who are the faithful. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained. In prisons Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, really? Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. You know what about you can say about those people? They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people, speaking of this hall of faith that we read in Hebrews 11, all of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. And yet, none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And then that's the end of chapter 11. We know that chapter and verse, uh, chapter breaks and verses were put in, uh, was it the 16th century somewhere? along there so they not part of the original writ uh, of, of uh, holy writ of the word and so you have to understand sometimes it looks like the end of a chapter we want to put a period there but you need to go on to the next verse let me go quickly therefore therefore is doing what it is attaching to what's just been said since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith These deep-rooted witnesses were able to endure the storms of opposition that the world threw against them. We just read what those were. So since they were able to do that, since they were able to endure stuff that probably looks a little more intense than what you and I are having to endure today in our Western Christianity, you know what it says to me? If they endured that, it means that it is possible to make it. It's possible to make it. I don't care how big your word impossible was when you walked in here today. Go ahead, give your story. Got a few, I'll match with you. Talk about impossible. I've dealt with several impossibles recently and they were big words impossible. I don't care how big that word impossible, if it's in, for healing for your body, I don't care if it's for healing for your mind, I don't care if it's for healing for your soul, healing for your family, because of what we have learned from the great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before us, who have suffered, who have run the race, who have persevered, who stayed all the way through, it is possible for you. I mean, when you look at the latter half of chapter 11, you have to ask yourself, can it get any worse? All that stuff we just read. Mocked, beaten, put in prison, stoned, sawed in half. And yet, and yet, I love the conjunctions in the word of God. And yet, there is a promise to us found just a little later in Hebrews 13, 5, which says what Gerard stood here and sang to us today I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. No matter how big your impossible is today, the Lord says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And our great cloud of witnesses, people with deep roots, knew that. They saw that, and they persevered, making it possible for you and I today. You know what? They saw a city whose builder and maker is God. God. And they had already transferred their affection and their citizenship. It doesn't mean that they that that they didn't vote on this side of eternity, doesn't mean that they didn't contribute to society while here on this earth, but they had transferred their affection and their citizenship to an eternal kingdom. Maybe that needs to enter our thinking in the church today. Where is your affection? Where is your citizenship? You know what Paul says about your citizenship? Our citizenship is in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ dwells. I quote that often at funerals. Our citizenship is in heaven. Where is your citizenship? Think about that. Where's your loyalty? How does it affect the way you live? How does it affect the way you think? How does it affect the way you behave? But our great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 12, the end of 11 and 12, they had transferred their affection and their citizenship to an eternal kingdom. Our great cloud of witnesses had seen the promises of God. They are yes and amen, church. All His promises are what? I go to my Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I do go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. Where is your citizenship today? Has the Church of America in 2021 lost the vision of heaven? An understanding that our lives are eternal lives? Why do you want your roots to grow deep? Because Christ promises us that you will rule and reign with him forever. He promises he's going to take us to a kingdom of eternal light, a kingdom of never-ending revelation of the greatness, never-ending revelation of the greatness and magnitude of God and of understanding our redemption. It is something that is beyond our understanding. For the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's bigger than you can ever imagine it is. (laughs) The great cloud of deep-rooted witnesses are those who saw the promise. Because of the promise, they moved forward and God enabled them to walk through the trials and the difficulties they had to face. What promise, Pastor Dan, are you talking about? These people saw what promise? Well, let me just read to you, and I'm going to ask you to help me read it. The promise, you know how to, you know how, you know the drill now. That God made to His people Israel. This is a promise that found in the Book of Isaiah. But now, O Jacob, here's the promises made to that great cloud of witnesses that they knew and they lived, based their life on. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you, who formed you, says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Oh, there ought to be a hallelujah in the house, like a serious hallelujah in the house. Now, here's the way I want to do this, a little more interactively today. You're gonna read the yellow part. I'm gonna set the clause up ahead of time. And if what I'm saying is you, I want you to stand. And you better shout out your part on here. When you go through deep waters, if that's you, I want you to stand. It can't be everybody. Folks, we've got a lot to go through here yet. When you go through rivers of difficulty, hallelujah. When you walk through the fire of oppression, church, rejoice in that today. It's the promise of God to you. Come on, come on. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them, says the Lord. Don't be afraid. Your faith is not in vain. He says, I know where your sons are. I know where your daughters are. I know where your family is. Do not be afraid. Give a shout to the Lord today. Oh, come on. Hold on to the promise. Keep moving forward. Run the race that is set before you. Sit down. You know what? Oh my goodness, who who moved the clock forward? (laughs) One of these days, praise is gonna erupt in this house. That no worship leader and no pastor has to prompt. Praise is gonna erupt in this house because the people of God have showed up with hearts full of praise. Hearts full of thanksgiving. And they can't stop it. No worship leader, no pastor could stop the praise that's coming to this house. I don't know why you're holding back. Church, listen to me. Listen to me. It's time for us to go deep in God. I don't know if this is you, but don't be afraid of death in Christ. What do you think's going to happen? Nothing but good. Don't turn your back when adversity comes your way. Those of you who have been not sure if you're going to keep going. Don't turn your back when adversity comes your way. And you have to face that, which is so very hard to face. You will be tempted to do that. I gotta I gotta quit. I'm not done. Are you gonna stay with me? Let me direct your attention, I'll try to do it quickly, to, to a couple of men, both of them named John, who demonstrated to us what it is to have deep roots. The first one's the apostle John. A fine young man who really loved Jesus with all of his heart, you know that. He was assured that Jesus truly loved him. He even describes himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We all have that image in our mind of the Last Supper. Um, He's leaning over on the chest of Jesus. No one was closer to Jesus. No one heard the voice of God more profoundly than the Apostle John. But by the end of his life, uh, he's in prison exiled to an island called Patmos for the testimony of Christ. It's cold, now he's old, he's roughly 80 years old. It's miserable, it's damp, it's barren in this prison. Any research, it's usually glaringly obvious at a minimal level of research will tell you that this prison, uh, it will confirm to you that it was the worst of the worst. Circumstances beyond what any of us would want to want to face. And he can't escape this island of Patmos that he's on because storms are raging all around him, particularly at this time of year, that 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 is being written. And here's a yet. Yet. In Revelation 1.10, that's what I want you to see. When he was about to be given direction to write to the seven churches, he says this. You know, verse 10, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Hmm. Suddenly, I heard behind me a what? Like a trumpet blast. Can I just tell you that loud voice that he speaks of is important. When you read that, don't just go sliding over that. I heard a loud voice behind me. It's that voice you hear when you have deep roots. It's that voice you hear when you've allowed your roots to go deep in God. It's that voice that rises above the storm. It's that same voice that he once heard as they were trying to row to the other side and they woke Jesus up and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? That's the voice. It's that voice that stood in the midst of the storm and said in a louder voice than the storm, Peace be still. I pray for you today, those of you who are right in the middle of a storm that's raging all around you. I pray that the voice of God that is louder, will be louder than the storm you're in today. And he will say, peace, be still. I know the peace speaker. I know him by name. I know the peace speaker. He controls the winds and the way. When he says, peace, be still, they have to obey glad I know the peace speaker, and I'm glad he's going to speak to you today in a loud voice that's louder than the storm that's swirling around you. Such power and authority was demonstrated that the disciples said when Jesus said that, and the storm was calm. What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It's that same loud voice which had said, I will never leave you and nor forsake you that John heard in the midst of of his storm. He heard a loud voice. Scripture is intentional about saying it's a loud voice, louder than the wind. It's louder than your despair. It's louder than all that was coming against this man to destroy him and to try to destroy his confidence in God. It's a loud voice. But Listen to me this morning. That could only happen to John because his roots were deep. And his Savior. He had listened, he had heard, he had walked with, he had followed, he was even willing to lose his freedom for the sake of Christ. That was John the Apostle. Let me mention the last one, the other one, John the Baptist. His story's got a little different twist on it. Jesus described him this way, there has not been a man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. <clears throat> Now, this John appeared to have a certain perception, if you will, of what this walk with Christ was going to look like, And but he also would end up in prison. You know his story. But remember, now let's, uh, let's keep it in perspective here, what I'm about to tell you. Remember that John the Baptist was the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Great confidence. And he even said this, And I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. But it's the same John who now is in jail. He sends messengers to the Son of God to say, "Um, Are you the one who's coming? Or should we look for somebody else? You know, folks, let's, let's get it real here. Sometimes confusion can get in your head when trouble comes. You know that's true? You know, these narratives I talked about a while ago that we craft and we design, these vain imaginations that can take over and start messing with your head in a real way? And We've had more of that this year than probably ever before. Confusion can get in your head when trouble comes, and you'll start believing anything. Maybe you thought something that wasn't quite right you thought your life was going to go a certain way you thought that walking with god was going to mean a certain thing and didn't quite turn out that way and so john the baptist sends messengers saying are, are, are you the one or, or shall we look for another now in all honesty jesus could have been really offended by the question but i just want to remind us today it's kind of as a somewhat of an aside he's not intimidated by your questioning he understands our struggles He understands that we are but dust. He knows our frame. How many are thankful? So Jesus responded with no offense. He responded like this in Luke chapter 7, 22. So then he told John's disciples, you know what? Go back to Brother John and just tell him what you have seen and heard. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And he gives a list. Tell him, tell John, here's what you have seen and heard. And this was it. I think it's time to think on some good things. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall. Many versions who say, turn, who do not turn back because of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed is he who is not blown over by the winds of adversity. For those of us who are about to be blown over today, blessed are as he who is not blown over by the winds of adversity. The word blessed in the Greek means this, indwelt by God and fully satisfied. How many blessed people do we have in the house today? How many blessed people do we have in the house today? Indwelt by God and fully satisfied. Blessed is he who trusts me even when he can't fully understand why he's in a storm. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Blessed is he who trusts me when he can't fully understand why he's in that storm, but knows in his heart that God still will be faithful. Verse 24, after John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. So, what kind of man did you go out to see when you went to the wilderness? Was he a weak reed? Was he swayed by every breath of wind? In other words, he's saying, did you think that John the Baptist was a man with shallow roots, even if he had his questioning? Did you think he was a man of shallow roots? No, Jesus is saying, that man has deep roots in God. And though the storms are raging against his mind, though the storms are raging against his life, though he's going through the valley of the shadow of death, that man will not be blown over by this. That man will not fall into the trap of such despair that he would begin to doubt the reality of God in his life. What a compliment to John the Baptist from Jesus himself. And then, I'm almost done in in a minute, Jesus makes this incredible statement after he gives this huge compliment to John the Baptist. He says, but everyone in the kingdom of God, everyone, everyone in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That includes you. You know why? Because we have a source of strength that John did not have. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit that is within us. We have the presence and the power of God's spirit living within us. We have the word of God. We have the promises of God. John did not have everything that we have. uh, Certainly a measure of it without a doubt, but he did not have everything that you and I have. That means that you and I have a greater access to strength and stability and depth in God that will preserve us to the very end. Hallelujah. As I wrap this up for the 10th time, Back to my original text in Matthew 13. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's Word. Then Let me skip to verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word, and they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Bethesda, the promise of God to you today is this. No matter what happens, you're going to bear fruit. That's a promise of God to you today. No matter what happens, you're going to bear fruit. If your roots are down deep, you're going to bear fruit. There's going to be a season coming. I would literally say to you today when people come up to you and say, give me a reason for the hope that lies within you. Can you explain to me? While you're still smiling, I know your story. I know what's going on. And you're still smiling? Really? Explain that to me. Can you tell me why you're humming in the workplace while you're singing a song? How do you have a song in your heart with all the mess you're going through, with the stuff that's going on here at the office? How do you have a song in your heart? Tell me where you're going because I want to take that journey with you. And those whose roots are down deep in the coming storms, which we will all have to face, the promise to you is that you are by the grace of God, you're going to bear fruit. How? Just by standing. That's your testimony. I'm standing today by the grace of God. I'm not being blown over by every wind. I'm not being annihilated by the adversity that's coming around. I'm standing by the grace of God. You may not know all the Hebrew, you may not understand the Greek, you may not be a preacher, you may never stand before crowds, but just by standing, be encouraged today, you will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That's the promise of God. So, my challenge to you today is this get in the race, start training for the race, start saying, God, I'm putting my roots down deep in you today. God, help me not to simply live on the surface of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't want to live on the surface any longer. It's kind of boring here. I want to go deeper. Give me grace, oh God, to believe your word, grace to read your word, grace to spend time in prayer if I've been lax in that. Give me grace to start standing now for what I believe in. I don't want to be a closet Christian anymore. It's not what you designed me to be. Oh, I'm private about my religion. It's personal. No, 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 no. That's not what you were called to be. Give me grace to stand out in the open field and declare the goodness of God. To declare that God is great and he's greatly to be praised. You promised God that I'm going to bear fruit, so I'm going to hold you that promise. I want you to stand as I I want us to read this last closing passage together. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to be encouraged by it. Let's say it together. So do this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while the coming will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction." We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Give a shout of praise in the house of God today.